Hi, Dave Remmer here. This is For the Record Program number 1242. How many lies before you belong to the lies, part 15. This is being recorded on April 22nd of the year 2022. So it's 422, 22 for whatever that is uh, worth. Uh, very quickly, four links. Uh, at the top of each written food for thought description and at the top of each, uh, spit for, each, um, for the record description. I turn each program into a long article length description so that listeners can read the sources from which this admit- admittedly consummately pedantic presentation is taken, or are taken, or is taken. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, uh, links are one will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of which are made by our brilliant contributing editor, Parafractal, some by other intelligent listeners. Another link will enable you to obtain the flash drive containing all of my roughly 43 years on the air, printed and audio, and I emphatically recommend that people do that. I, I've never been more pessimistic, and I'm not exactly... Uh, you know, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, and have never been. Uh, I am not a gatherer and spreader of sunshine and mirth. Uh, however, I think we are doomed, and I think that, uh, at least as a civilization, and I think that, frankly, listeners have a responsibility as sentient beings, as corny as that may sound, to preserve for any that may come after us the record of just what in hell happened. And I mean in hell, because I think that's uh, basically what we're arriving at. Uh, another link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by sister station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program and increasingly in our media environment in 2022, that is the case. Sister station WFMU is podcasting for the record. And the last link will enable you to go to the Patreon site that I have just started. Uh, basically, it's www.patreon.com front slash capital D-A-V-E capital E-M-O-R-Y. Uh, the Patreon presentations, this is a, a new thing for me. I'm an old geezer, and uh, this is a newfangled technology for me. But we, we are getting this. It's developing, and we're doing roughly three 20-minute talks each week and one hourly talk each week. And in addition to the audio uh, via software, those are also being turned into print. So uh, if my delivery is not easy for people to consume, they can take the time to read about it. Uh, it is a more informal presentation, so I think in many ways it will be easier for people to uh, assimilate. Uh, still, I like to... Uh, keep close to the the written documentation. So uh, uh, it is, as always, fact-based. Uh, also, again, with three 20-minute talks and one-hour talk a week, I can cover more ground than I certainly can uh, with the For the Record programs, and there is a lot of ground to cover.
we're going to uh, basically recap a lot of what we spoke about in For the Record 1241. I don't think I did a very good job simply because I was editorializing too much, which is hard not to do when uh, you're presented with things like what we are being presented with. But I'm going to strive mightily not to do that in this one. Again, that's easier said than done. There is, uh, in, in a Grey Zone article, which we're going to recapitulate, there is a Twitter recording of Ganabi or G-E-N-N-A-B-I-Y, Druzhenko, D-R-U-Z-E-N-K-O. This is on the Twitter account of Dan Cohen. And uh, basically, he is the head of Ukraine's military medical service, basically their highest-ranking military medical official. And he describes having given them order to castrate all Russian POWs. I'm going to do my best to read this. This is... uh, Easier said than done because Twitter presents things in an uneven, at an uneven speed. But just before you listen to my reading of this, as imperfect as it may be, just imagine if the head of Russia's military medical service, whatever that may be, had given an order to castrate all Ukrainian POWs. Can you imagine, uh, the Uproar it would be. Western media would be going psychotic over something like this. But uh, an indication of uh, just what the state of affairs vis-a-vis Ukraine is comes from this. Again, this is Gennady, G-E-N-N-A-B-I-Y, Druzhenko, D-R-U-Z-E-N-K-O, and I'm probably butchering the Ukrainian pronunciation. But here we go. Putin's machinery burns well. Cadavers of Putinoids stink to high heavens, but become harmless at the end. I gave orders to my medical staff. You know, I am a great humanist and used to say a wounded enemy isn't an enemy anymore, but a patient. But this time around, I gave strict orders to castrate all the wounded because they are cockroaches, not humans. Our doctors always tried to save patients, but Russians will die here. They will die in great numbers. And the lucky ones who get out alive will remember with horror Ukrainian land like Germans Stalingrad. And uh, that is an interesting thing for the head of uh, Ukraine's uh, military medical service to uh, discuss or confess on Ukraine 24, their uh, top TV channel. Uh, and again, just by way of, of gauging where we're at, imagine... Something like that, uh, if, if the Russian, <laughs> the head of Russia's military medical service gave an order like that, uh, there probably would have been a nuclear exchange by now. I mean, it, it just would be unthinkable. But that is indicative of the distortion and the grotesque nature of what has gone on. Uh, also indicative of that is I'm going to reread just a tiny bit of an op-ed column in the New York Times from last Wednesday, April 20th of 2022. This is by Brett Stevens, and it's titled, Why We Admire Zelensky. And just a brief excerpt. Ukraine's president shows that democracies 
can still produce great leaders. Well, uh, that sort of belongs in the same category as Gennady Brzezinko, ordering that Russian POWs be castrated. Uh, Ukraine is not a democracy. The uh ha to the contrary notwithstanding, uh, when political opposition is eliminated either by fiat, uh, making certain parties outlawed, or by intimidation of uh, opposing politicians uh, and uh, media outlets that report that, and or the elimination, either by arrest, assassination, or whatever, of uh, political opposition, that is not democracy. We are going to reread, I I did not get a chance to finish that, but an article from the Gray Zone from April 17th of 2022. They are doing some of the best work and some of the only really courageous work on uh, what is going on in Ukraine. And as we listen to this, remember what we spoke about in our last program about the OUNB and, uh, frankly, fascist nature of and uh, antecedents of the Ukrainian SBU, the Ukrainian Intelligence Service, which we will be talking about under Valentin Novavichenko, who headed that up, under Viktor Yushchenko, who brought many of the OUNB elements to power, and who then resumed head of the SBU after the Maidan coup. The OUNB, by his own account, that is to say, Valentin Novichenko's account, was run along the lines of the OUNB of Stefan Bondera, part of the Galen organization. The uh, account that we're going to listen to uh, is remarkable in many ways, not only for the uh, complete absence of coverage of this, in mainstream media, that is perhaps understandable at this stage of the game. But among the elements that are being uh, suppressed or completely eliminated by assassination, torture, or arrest are the doctrinaire and relatively far-left elements, such as outlawed Leninist parties and so forth. Uh, that is not surprising, given uh, the political lay of the land in Ukraine, but do not expect uh, the left in this country to cover that. They are uh, marooned on the farthest shores of identity politics and simply are not going to cover that. Uh, Note also, and we're going to talk about uh, an NBC News article, there was also an article in the New York Times, uh, in which U.S. intelligence and the Biden administration said in, in so many words that they were deliberately putting out, quote, low-quality or low-grade intelligence, in part to get into Putin's head or to get ahead of Putin. I don't think it's getting into Putin's head, but I think the real goal of that is to get into our heads and to mislead us. Uh, a sympathetic element or a corresponding element to that is something we will talk about in the story that I'm going to present, and that is the Ukrainian government's declaration of what they call total war, in which deliberate falsification and confusion is employed systematically by the Ukrainian government in order to mislead and motivate. The term total war actually originates with the seminal 
Prussian military theoretician Karl von Clausewitz. It was used as a, a public rallying cry by Joseph Goebbels, the Third Reich propaganda minister. And I don't think that the use by Zelensky's government of the term total war is a reference to Karl von Clausewitz. So by way of examining the quote, democracy, unquote, that is manifesting under Zelensky. We're going to read this article. Another thing, by the way, to pay attention to is a fellow named Anton Gerashenko. That's G-E-R-A-S-C-H-E-N-K-O. You'll also see that. Gerashenko, it transliterates from the Cyrillic alphabet in various ways. We're going to encounter him in this article, and then we're going to encounter him in connection with the threats or prop or not hacker and journalistic intimidation group in Ukraine, which also may very well have uh, networked with the Washington Post in order to do something very similar in the U.S. We will take a look at their targeting of the late Robert Perry of Consortium News, who died of a fast-acting case of cancer in early 2018. I am very suspicious about that, as suspicious as I am sad. I, it was my pleasure and privilege to interview Robert Perry a number of times over the years. Uh, that will not be happening anymore. So, from the gray zone of April 17th, of 2022. This is by Max Blumenthal and Esha Krishnaswamy, K-R-I-S-H-N-A-S-W-A-M-Y. One last traitor. That's a quote, by the way, from the aforementioned Anton Gerashenko. One last traitor. Zelensky oversees campaign of assassination, kidnapping, and torture of political opposition. While claiming to defend democracy, Ukraine's Volodymyr Zelensky has outlawed his opposition, ordered his rivals arrest, and presided over the disappearance and assassination of dissidents across the country. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has framed his country's war against Russia as a battle for democracy itself. In a carefully choreographed address to U.S. Congress on March 16th, Zelensky stated, quote, Right now the destiny of our country is being decided the destiny of our people, whether Ukrainians will be free, whether they will be able to preserve their democracy. U.S. corporate media has responded by showering Zelensky with fawning press, driving a campaign for his nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize, and inspiring a flamboyant musical tribute to himself and the Ukrainian military during the 2022 Grammy Awards ceremony on April 3rd. Western media has looked the other way, however, as Zelensky and top officials in his administration have sanctioned a campaign of kidnapping, torture, and assassination of local Ukrainian lawmakers accused of collaborating with Russia. Several mayors and Ukrainian officials have been killed since the outbreak of war, many reportedly by Ukrainian state agents after engaging in de-escalation talks with Russia. There is one less traitor in Ukraine, Internal Affairs Ministry, uh, one more time, there is one less traitor in Ukraine, Internal Affairs Ministry advisor Anton Gerashenko stated in an endorsement of the murder of a Ukrainian mayor accused of collaborating with Russia. Zelensky has further exploited the atmosphere of war to outlaw an array of opposition parties 
and ordered the arrest of his leading rivals. His authoritarian decrees had triggered the disappearance, torture, and even murder of an array of human rights activists, communist and leftist organizers, journalists, and government officials accused of pro-Russian, unquote, sympathies. The Ukrainian SDU security services has served as the enforcement arm of the officially authorized campaign of repression. With training from the CIA and close coordination with Ukraine's state-backed neo-Nazi paramilitaries, the SBU has spent the past weeks filling its vast archipelago of torture dungeons with political dissidents. On the battlefield, meanwhile, the Ukrainian military has engaged in a series of atrocities against captured Russian troops and proudly exhibited its sadistic acts on social media. Here, too, the perpetrators of human rights abuses appear to have received approval from the upper echelons of Ukrainian leadership. While Zelensky spouts bromides about the defense of democracy before worshipful Western audiences, he is using the war as a future for enacting a blood-drenched purge of political rivals, dissidents, and critics. Quote, The war is being used to kidnap, imprison, and even kill opposition members who express themselves critical of the government, unquote, a left-wing activist beaten and persecuted by Ukraine's security services commented this April, quote, We must all fear for our freedom and our lives, unquote. Torture, next section, torture and enforced disappearances, quote, common practices, unquote, of Ukraine's SBU. Not surprisingly, they have very close relationship with our own CIA. What we're looking at basically is, in effect, the Jakarta method in Ukraine. That is the title of a book by Vincent Blevins called the Jakarta method, subtitled America's Anti-Communist Crusade and the Mass Murder Program that Shaped Our World. Continuing, and by the way, I talked about that in For the Record 1077 and uh, came back to it in uh, For the Record Program number, I think it was 1212. When the U.S.-backed government seized power in Kiev following the Euromaidan regime change operation of 2013-2014, Ukraine's government embarked on a nationwide purge of political elements deemed pro-Russian or insufficiently nationalistic. The passage of, quote, decommunization, unquote, laws by the Ukrainian parliament further eased the persecution of leftist elements and the prosecution of activists for political speech. By the way, they also uh, were called the illustration laws, and they basically outlawed any realistic portrayal of the World War II behavior of the OUNB and or the uh, UPA. Continuing. The post-Maidan regime has focused its wrath on Ukrainians who have advocated a peace settlement with pro-Russian separatists in the country's east, those who have documented human rights abuses by the Ukraine military, and members of communist organizations. Dissident elements have faced the constant threat of ultranationalist violence, imprisonment, and even murder. The Ukrainian security service known as the SBU has served as the main enforcer of the post-Maidan government's campaign of domestic political repression. Pro-Western monitors, including the United Nations Office of the High Commission, UNOHCR, and Human Rights Watch, have accused the SBU of systematically torturing political opponents and Ukrainian dissidents with near-total impunity. 
The UNOHCR found in 2016 that, quote, arbitrary detention, enforced disappearances, torture, and ill-treatment of such conflict-related detainees were common practice of SDU. A former Kharkov SBU officer explained, quote, For the SBU, the law virtually does not exist as everything that is illegal can either be classified or explained by referring to state necessity, unquote. Yevon Karas, the founder of the infamous neo-Nazi C-14 unit named after the 14 words of white supremacist David Lane, has detailed the close relationship his gang and other extreme right factions have enjoyed with the SBU. The SBU, quote, informs not only us but also Azov, the right sector, and so on, unquote, Karas boasted in the 2017 interview. Kiev officially endorses assassinating Ukrainian mayors for negotiating with Russia. Since Russia launched its military operation inside Ukraine, the SBU has hunted down local officials that decided to accept humanitarian supplies from Russia or negotiated with Russian forces to arrange couriers for civilian evacuations. On March 1st, for example, Volodymyr Strok, S-T-R-O-K, the mayor of the eastern city of Kremina in the Ukrainian-controlled side of Lukansk, was kidnapped by men in military uniform, according to his wife, and shot in the heart. On March 3rd, pictures of Strok's visibly tortured body appeared. A day before his murder, Strok had reportedly urged his Ukrainian colleagues to negotiate with pro-Russian officials. Anton Gerashenko, an advisor to the Ukrainian Ministry of Internal Affairs, more about him later, celebrated the mayor's murder, declaring on his telegram page, see below, there is one less traitor in Ukraine. The mayor of Kremina in Lukansk region, former deputy of Lukansk parliament, was found killed. According to Gerashenko, Strzok had been judged by the, quote, Court of the People's Tribunal, unquote. The Ukrainian official therefore delivered a chilling message to anyone choosing to seek cooperation with Russia. Do so and lose your life. On March 7th, the mayor of Gostomel, Yuri Prilipko, was found murdered. Prilipko, P-R-Y-L-I-P-K-O, had reportedly entered into negotiations with Russian military to organize a humanitarian corridor for the evacuation of his city's residents a red line for Ukrainian ultranationalists who have long been in conflict with the mayor's office. Next, on March 24th, Gennady Matsugora, the mayor of Kupyansk in northeastern Ukraine, released a video appealing to President Volodymyr Zelensky and his administration for the release of his daughter, who had been held hostage by agents of the Ukrainian SBU intelligence agency. Then, there was the murder of Denis Kiryev, K-I-R-E-V, a top member of the Ukrainian negotiating team who was killed in broad daylight in Kiev after the first round of talks with Russia. Kiev was subsequently accused in local Ukrainian media of treason, unquote. President Volodymyr Zelensky's statement that, quote, there would be consequences for collaborators, unquote, indicates that these atrocities have been sanctioned by the highest levels of government. As of today, 11 mayors from various towns in Ukraine are missing. 
Western outlets have been following the Kiev line without exception, claiming that all mayors had been arrested by the Russian military. The Russian Ministry of Defense has denied the charge, however, and little evidence exists to corroborate Kiev's line about the missing mayors. Next section, Zelensky outlaws political opposition, authorizes arrests of rivals, and war propaganda blitz. It reads, When war erupted with Russia this February, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky issued a series of decrees formalizing Kiev's campaign against political opposition and dissident speech. In a March 19th executive order, Zelensky invoked martial law to ban 11 opposition parties. The outlawed parties consisted of the entire left-wing, socialist, or anti-NATO spectrum in Ukraine. They included the For Life Party, the Left Opposition, the Progressive Socialist Party of Ukraine, the Socialist Party of Ukraine, Union of Left Forces, Socialists, the Party of Shari, I believe that is the Party of Regions, Ours, State, Opposition Bloc, and the Volodymyr Salvo Bloc. Openly fascist and pro-Nazi parties like the Azov National Corps were left untouched by the presidential decree, however. The activities of these politicians aimed at division or collusion will not succeed, but will receive a harsh response, President Zelensky stated. As he wiped out his opposition, Zelensky ordered an unprecedented domestic propaganda initiative to nationalize all television news broadcasting and combine all channels into a single 24-hour channel called United News, unquote, to, quote, tell the truth about war, unquote. Next, on April 12th, Zelensky announced the arrest of his principal political rival, Viktor Medvedchuk, by Ukraine's SBU security services. The founder of the second largest party in Ukraine, the now illegal Patriots for Life, Medvedchuk is the de facto representative of the country's ethnic Russian population. Though Patriots for Life is regarded as pro-Russia, unquote, in part because of his close relations with Vladimir Putin, the new chairman of the party has condemned Russia's, quote, aggression, unquote, against Ukraine. Members of the state-sponsored neo-Nazi Azov Battalion's National Corps attacked Medvedchuk's home in March of 2019, accusing him of treason and demanding his arrest. In August of 2020, Azov's National Corps opened fire on a bus carrying the representatives of Medvedchuk's party, wounding several with rubber-coated steel bullets. Zelensky's, Zelensky's administration escalated the assault. One more time. Zelensky's administration escalated the assault on his top opponent in February 2021, when he suffered several media outlets controlled by Medvedchuk. The U.S. State Department openly endorsed the president's move, declaring that the United States, quote, supports Ukrainian efforts to counter Russia's malign influence, unquote. Three months later, Kiev jailed Medvedchuk and charged him with treason. Zelensky justified locking away his leaving rival on the grounds that he needed, quote, to fight against the danger of Russian aggression in the information arena, unquote. Medvedchuk escaped house arrest at the onset of the war between Russia and Ukraine, but this, but he is a captive once again and may be used as collateral for a post-war prisoner swap with Russia. 
the next section, under Zelensky's watch, the war is being used to kidnap, imprison, and even kill opposition members. Since Russian troops entered Ukraine on February 24th, Ukraine's SBU security service had been on a rampage against any and all iterations of internal political opposition. Leftist Ukrainian activists have faced particularly harsh treatment, including kidnapping and torture. This March 3rd in the city of Dnipro, SBU officers, accompanied by Azov ultra-nationalists, raided the home of activists with the Levisha Left organization, which has organized against social spending cuts and right-wing media propaganda. While one activist said the Azov member, quote, cut my hair off with a knife, unquote, the state security agents proceeded to torture her husband, Alexander Matryoshenko, pressing a gun barrel to his head and forcing him to repeatedly belt out the nationalist salute, Slava, Ukraini. Then they put bags over our heads and tied our hands with tape and took us to the SBU building in the car. There, they continued to interrogate us and threatened to cut off our ears, unquote. Matryoshenko's wife told the leftist German publication Junge Welt. The Azov members and SBU agents recorded the torture session and published images of Matryoshenko's bloody face online. Matryoshenko, but it's M-A-T-J-U-S-C-A-T-N-K-O, and again, I'm probably butchering uh, these Ukrainian pronunciations. Matryoshenko was jailed on the grounds that he was, quote, conducting an aggressive war or military operation, unquote, and now faces 10 to 15 years in prison. Despite enduring several broken ribs from their beating by state-backed ultra-nationalists, he, had been, he has been denied bail. Meanwhile, dozens of other leftists have been jailed on similar charges in Dnipro. Among those targeted by SBU were Mikhail and Alexander Kononovich, members of the outlawed Leninist Communist Youth Union of Ukraine. Both were arrested and jailed on March 6th and accused of, quote, spreading pro-Russian and pro-Bielo-Russian views, unquote. In the following days, the SBU arrested broadcast journalist Jan Paksyur, P-A-K-S-Y-U-R, and charged him with treason. Human rights activist Elena Berishmaya, Elena Vyashlova, a human rights and advocate, one more time. In the following days, the SBU arrested broadcast journalist Jan Paksyur and charged him with treason. Human rights activist Elena Berishnaya, Elena Vyashlova, a human rights advocate whose father Mikhail was burned to death during the May 2nd, 2014 ultra-nationalist mob attack on anti-Maidan protesters outside the Odessa House of Trade Unions, independent journalist Yuri Tukachev, who was charged with treason and an untold number of others, disabled rights activist Oleg Novikov, who was jailed for three years this April on grounds that he supported, quote, separatism, unquote. The list of those imprisoned by Ukraine's security services since the outbreak of war grows by the day and is too extensive to reproduce here. Perhaps the most ghastly incident of oppression took place when neo-Nazis backed by the Ukrainian government kidnapped Maxim Rindovsky, R-Y-N-D-O-V-S-K-I-Y, a professional mixed martial arts fighter, and brutally tortured him for the crime of training with Russian fighters at the gym in Chechnya. 
Rimbowski also happened to be Jewish, with a star of David tattooed on his leg, and had spoken out on social media against the war in eastern Ukraine. Ukraine's SDU has even hunted opposition figures outside the country's borders. As journalist Dan Cohen reported, Anatoly Sherry of the recently banned party of Sherry, S-H-A-R-I-Y, said he was the target of a recent SDU assassination attempt. Sherry has been an outspoken opponent of the U.S.-backed Maidan regime and has been forced to flee into exile after enduring years of harassment from nationalists. This March, the libertarian politician and online pundit received an email from a friend, quote, Igor, unquote, seeking to arrange a meeting. He subsequently learned that Igor was held by the SBU at the time and being used to bait Sharif into disclosing his location. For his part, Sharif has been on the notorious Miret Verets Mirot Verets, one more time, that's, that's spelled by the way, M-Y-R-O-T-V-O-R-E-P-S, and those here, Anton Gerashenko and Mirette Verets, or prop or not, they also apparently have been manifesting in the U.S. as well, as I indicated more later. For his part, Cherie has been placed on the notorious Mirette Verets public blacklist of enemies of the state, unquote, founded by Anton Gerashenko, the Ministry of Internal Affairs advisor who endorsed the assassination of Ukrainian lawmakers accused of Russian sympathies. Several journalists and Ukrainian dissidents, including the prominent columnist Oleg Bozina, was murdered by state-backed death squads after their names appeared on the list. Common Ukrainian citizens have also been subjected to torture since the start of the war this February. Seemingly countless videos have appeared on social media showing civilians tied to lampposts, often with their genitals exposed or their faces painted green. Carried out by territorial defense volunteers, passed with enforcing law and order during wartime, these acts of humiliation and torture have targeted everyone from accused Russian sympathizers to Roma people to alleged thieves. The next section... Ukraine's SDU studies torture and assassination from the CIA. Vasily Prozolov, a former SDU officer who defected to Russia following the Euro Maidan coup, detailed the post Maidan Security Service's systemic reliance on torture to crush political opposition and intimidate citizens. One more time. Vasily Prozolov, P O Z R O V a former SBU officer who defected to Russia following the Euromaidan coup, detailed the post-Maidan Security Service's systemic reliance on torture to crush political opposition and intimidate citizens accused of Russian sympathies. According to Prozovov, the ex-SBU officer, the Ukrainian security services have been directly advised by the CIA since 2014. Quote, CIA employees have been present in Kiev since 2014. They are residing in clandestine apartments and suburban houses, he said, again quoting, however, they frequently come to the SBU's central office for holding, for example, specific meetings or plotting secret operations, unquote. 
Below, Russ's RAA, RAA Novosti profiled Prozovov and covered his disclosures in the 2019 special. And that, uh, by the way, there's an, an embedded video. Uh, by the way, interrupting briefly, uh, I encourage listeners emphatically, strongly to access the written description for this story uh, and perhaps also the original version on the Gray Zone website and take a look at both the still photos and the embedded videos, including that delightful account by the head of Ukraine's uh, military medical service, Gennady Ruzinko, uh, talking about his order to castrate Russian POWs. Uh, it really, I think, will illustrate in the most literal sense of the word what's going on better than any words I can present from the actual text. Continuing. Journalist Dan Cohen interviewed a Ukrainian businessman named Igor who was arrested by the SBU for his financial ties with Russian companies and detained this March in the Security Services Notorious Headquarters in downtown Kiev. Igor said he overheard Russian POWs being beaten with pipes by territorial defense volunteers being coached by SVU officers. Pummeled to the sound of the Ukrainian national anthem, the Russian prisoners were brutalized until they confessed their hatred for Putin. And again, this is not uh, somebody... Oh, that, that, that These are Russian POWs. Again, the way they were castrated. Continuing... Then came Igor's turn. They used a lighter to heat up a needle, then put it under my fingernails, he told Cohen. The worst was when they put a plastic bag over my head and suffocated me, and when they held the muzzle of a Kalashnikov rifle to my head and forced me to answer their questions. Valentin Malavichenko, the first head of the SBU after the Euromaidan regime change operations of 2013-2014, Richard close ties to Washington when he served as general counsel to the Ukrainian embassy in the U.S. during the, during the George W. Bush administration. During that time, Novavichenko was recruited by the CIA, according to his predecessor at the SBU, Alexander Yakimenko, who served under the Russian-oriented government of deposed President Viktor Yanukovych. In 2021, Zelensky appointed one of Ukraine's most notorious intelligence figures, Oleksandr Poklad, P-O-K-L-A-D, to lead SBU's counterintelligence division. Poklad is nicknamed, quote, the Strangler, unquote, a reference to his reputation for using torture and assorted derby tricks to set up his boss's political rivals on treason charges. <coughs> Excuse me. This April... A vivid illustration of the S. One more time. This April, a vivid illustration of the SBU's brutality emerged in the form of a video showing its agents pummeling a group of men accused of Russian sympathies in the city of Dnipro. We will never take Russian soldiers prisoner. Ukraine's military flaunts its crimes. That's the next section. While the Western military has focused squarely on alleged Russian human rights abuses since the outbreak of war, Ukrainian soldiers and pro-Ukrainian social media accounts have proudly exhibited sadistic war crimes from field executions to the torture of captive soldiers. This March, 
A pro-Ukrainian telegram channel called White Lives Matter released a video of a Ukrainian soldier calling the fiancé of a Russian prisoner of war, seen below, and prompting her with promises to castrate the captive. Obviously, that is the video below that text. Ukrainian soldiers of the cell phones of dead Russian soldiers, uh, Ukrainian soldiers' use of the cell phones of dead Russian soldiers to mock and hector their relatives appears to be a common practice. In fact, the Ukrainian government has begun using notoriously invasive facial recognition technology from Clearview AI, a U.S. tech company, to identify Russian casualties and point their relatives on social media. I would add, as we're going to talk about later, uh, Clearview AI, developed by Charles Johnson, a top figure in the, quote, alt-right, unquote, in the U.S., a big Trump supporter, and with heavy investment from Peter Thiel, uh, head of Palantir, the alpha predator of the electronic landscape, uh, and the, of the electronic surveillance landscape, and also the employer of consultant, uh, Abel Haynes, the deputy director of CIA under Obama, consultant for Palantir under Trump, uh, a key member of Biden's transition team, and now the director of national intelligence. She's also a key participant in event 201 in October of 2019, a rehearsal for a coronavirus-caused global pandemic that would rend the political, social, and economic fabric of the entire world. And again, aren't you glad that didn't happen? Remarkable coincidence that they were able to see that coming. Continuing. Clearview AI, as I mentioned, uh, it is being employed by the Russian security, but excuse me, it's being employed by the Ukrainian security police and we will speculate about that, and one can but wonder uh, to what extent that may be responsible for some of the uh, cleanup operations that Ukrainian security police have been talking about, uh, getting rid of, quote, pro-Russian uh, sympathizers. Again, those were reported in places like Bucha, and uh, again, we'll talk about Clearview AI and uh, the implications of having them networking with the Ukrainian security police. Continuing, <clears throat> this April, a pro-Ukrainian telegram channel called FCK Russia 2022 posted a video depicting a Russian soldier with one of his eyes bandaged, suggesting he had been gouged during torture and mocked him as a one-eyed pig, unquote. The most gruesome image to have appeared on social media in recent weeks is that photo of a tortured Russian soldier who had one of his eyes gouged before he was killed. The accompanying post was captioned, Looking for Nazis. And again, that picture, both of the soldier with his uh, apparently gouged-out eye bandage, and then, uh, after having been apparently shot in the head with blood coming from his nose and mouth, and uh, with uh, an eyeball uh, underneath the uh, photo saying, looking for Nazis, continuing. Video has also emerged this April showing Ukrainian soldiers shooting defenseless Russian POWs in the legs outside the city of Kharkov. A separate video published by Ukrainian and U.S.-backed Georgian Legion soldiers showed the fighters carrying out field executions of wounded Russian captives near a village outside Kiev. It is likely that these soldiers had been emboldened by their superiors' blessings. Mamula 
Mamulashvili, again, we talked about him two weeks ago, or in, in uh, for the record, 1239, the commander of the Georgian Legion, which participated in, actually, we talked about him in, for the record, 1240, excuse me. It is likely that these soldiers had been emboldened by their superior's blessings, Mamula Mamulashvili, commander of the Georgian Legion, which participated in the field executions of wounded Russian POWs, boasted this April that, quote, his unit freely engages in war crimes. Quote, yes, we tie their hands and feet sometimes. I speak for the Georgian Legion. We will never take Russian soldiers prisoner. Not a single one of them will be taken prisoner. Similarly, Gennady Dzhenko, the head of the Ukrainian Military Medical Service, stated in an interview with Ukraine 24 that he, quote, issued an order to castrate all Russian men because they were subhuman and worse than cockroaches, unquote. We, again, I've read that at the beginning. While Western media hones in on Russian human rights violations at home and inside Ukraine, the Ukrainian government has authorized a propaganda campaign known as Total War, unquote, that includes the planting of bogus images and false stories to further implicate Russia. This, in combination with things like the NBC News and New York Times report of the U.S. consciously creating psyops using low-quality or low-grade intelligence, basically BS, and in combination with things like the BBC uh, using Ukrainian far-right figures and uh, basically merging with MI6, the uh, British Foreign Intelligence Service, and with the AP basically being embedded with and using the uh, photograph service of Azov, uh, basically the veracity of what is going on there is not only compromised, but I think it would be a mistake for anyone to take uh, the stories of you know, Russian propaganda and so Russian atrocities and so forth at face value, we debunk a lot of that. Uh, again, we, we, what exactly what is going on there, we don't know. But what, what we can certainly conclude is a, we are being lied to big time, and b, there is deliberate gaming of the playing field in that regard. The one thing I can absolutely unqualifiedly comment on is the complete reversal of facts of Adolf Hitler when they say, that, oh, ridiculous, you know, Putin says well, he's going to denazify Ukraine, there are no Nazis there. We've been talking about that at great length in our last program. I read a list of the programs talking about that in, from a post in, um, in November of 2015, six and a half years ago. Uh, so we are certainly being lied to in an epic way. Continuing, while Western media hones in on Russian human rights violations at home and inside Ukraine, the Ukrainian government has authorized a propaganda campaign known as Total War that includes the planting of bogus images and false stories to further implicate Russia. In one especially cynical example of, of the strategy, Ukraine 24, a TV channel where guests have called for the genocidal extermination of Russian children, published a photo this April depicting a female corpse branded with a bloody swastika on her stomach. Ukraine 24 claimed that it found this woman in Gostromel, one of the regions in the Kiev Oblast that the Russians vacated on March 29th. Vyshev Alaslenko, a Ukrainian member of parliament, and Alexei Arestovich, 
the top advisor for President Zelensky, published a photo of the defiled female corpse on social media. While Vasilenko left the photo online, Aristovich deleted it eight, eight hours later after posting when confronted with the fact that he had published a fake. In fact, the image was pulled from footage originally recorded by Patrick Lancaster, a Donetsk-based U.S. criminalist who had filmed the corpse of a woman tortured and murdered by members of the Ukrainian Azov Battalion in a Mariupol school basement that had been converted into a base. As weapons pour into Ukraine from NATO states and the war intensifies, the atrocities are almost certain to pile up. And with the blessing of leadership in Kiev, as Zelensky proclaimed during a visit to the city of Bucha this April, quote, if we do not find a civilized way out, you know our people, they will find an uncivilized way out, unquote. I don't doubt that. Uh, again, noting the distortion of the news, uh, we talked about Anton Garashenko, an Azov-linked uh, interior ministry aide. From Yahoo News of April 4th of 2022, Ukrainian village leader and family found buried in shallow grave by Marco Jurica, B-J-U-R-I-C-A, a Reuters journalist. The head of the village of Motsin, her husband and son were shot and buried in a shallow grave, an advisor to the Ukrainian Imperial Ministry said on Monday, showing their partially covered bodies in the sand. There have been Russian occupiers here. They tortured and murdered the whole family of the village head, said Anton Heroshenko, naming those killed as Ola Sukenko, her husband, Ihor Sukenko, and their 25-year-old son, Alexander. Is that what happened, or is this another example of total war and the deliberate perversion of what is going on? Now, remember Anton Garashenko, remember Mirot Varets, the uh, organization created to uh, suppress and intimidate and perhaps murder opposition journalists, and uh, the aforementioned Anton Garashenko. We're going to talk about him as well. And it may be that that is also being, that or prop or not, is being manifested in the U.S. From the commondreams.org website of November 28th of 2016, this is a Robert Perry story originally published in Consortium News, uh, and it's called Washington Post's Fake News Guilt by Robert Perry, the late. Robert Perry. The fake news theme has captivated the Washington Post and the mainstream U.S. media so much that it is stooping to McCarthyistic smears against news outlets that don't tell the State Department's propaganda line. The mainstream U.S. media's hysteria over fake news has reached its illogical or logical zenith, a McCarthyistic blacklisting of honest journalism that simply shows professional skepticism toward officialdom, including what's said by U.S. government officials and what's written in the Washington Post and New York Times. After returning from a Thanksgiving trip to Philadelphia, skipping down, after returning from a Thanksgiving trip to Philadelphia on Saturday, I, Robert Perry, received word that ConsortiumNews.com, the 21-year-old investigative news site that has challenged misguided groupthinks, unquote, whether from Republicans, Democrats, or anyone else over those two-plus decades, was included among 200 Internet sites spreading what some anonymous website, prop or not, deems Russian propaganda. 
I would normally ignore such nonsense, but it was elevated by the Washington Post, which treated those unnamed independent researchers, unquote, as sophisticated experts who, quote, tracked, unquote, the Russian propaganda operation and assembled the blacklist. Now, uh, skipping down, this is from an article by Mark Ames in Alternet.org from December 7th of 2016. It's called, The Anonymous Blacklist Quoted by the Washington Post Has Apparent Ties to Ukrainian Fascism and CIA Spying. And it reads about the proper not group that Robert Perry talked about and it attacked him. One prop or not tweet dated November 17th invokes a 1940s Ukrainian fascist salute, Helene Sliva, to, that, or uh, glory to uh, Ukraine, to cheer a news item on Ukrainian hackers fighting Russians. The phrase means glory to the heroes, and it was formally introduced by the fascist organization of Ukrainian nationalists. One more time, I'm going to read this. One proper not tweet dated November 17th invoked a 1940s Ukrainian fascist salute, Heroin Sliva, to cheer a news item on Ukrainian hackers fighting Russians. The phrase means, glory to the heroes, and it was formally introduced by the fascist organization of Ukrainian nationalists, or OUN, at their March-April 1941 Congress in Nazi-occupied Krakow, as they prepared to serve as Nazi auxiliaries in Operation Barbarossa, the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union. Quote, The OUNB introduced another Ukrainian fascist salute at the Second Great Congress of the Ukrainian Nationalists in Krakow in March and April of 1941. This was the most popular Ukrainian fascist salute and had to be performed according to the instructions of the OUNB leadership by raising the right arm, quote, slightly to the right, slightly above the peak of the head, while calling glory to Ukraine, Slava Ukraini, and responding glory to the heroes, Heroin Slava. Uh, Nancy Pelosi greeted uh, Volodymyr Zelensky at the uh, earlier mentioned uh, video appearance he gave before the U.S. Congress with glory to Ukraine, the salute of the OUNB. Now more about proper knots, and it was it's probably uh, an out, uh, outgrowth of the aforementioned Murat Durets. Quote, One of the more frightening policies enacted by the current oligarch nationalist regime in Kiev is an online blacklist of journalists accused of collaborating with pro-Russian, quote, terrorists, unquote. The website Marat Varets, or Peacemaker, was set up by Ukrainian hackers working with state intelligence and police, all of which tend to share the same ultra-nationalist ideologies as Andrei Parably of Svoboda and the newly appointed neo-Nazi chief of the National Police. The website is designed to frighten and muzzle journalists from reporting anything but the pro-nationalist party line, and it has the backing of government officials, spies, and police, including the SPU, Ukraine's successor to the KGB, the powerful Interior Minister Avakov, one more time, the powerful Interior Minister Avakov and his notorious far-right deputy Anton Garashenko, closely associated with the Azov Battalion. Again, that has the, that, those are the people backing it. Note again, uh, Anton Garashenko, closely associated with the Azov Battalion. Ukraine's journalist blacklist website 
operated by Ukrainian hackers working with state intelligence, led to a rash of death threats against the doxed journalists, whose email addresses, phone numbers, and other private information was posted anonymously to the website. Many of those threats came with the wartime Ukrainian fascist salute, Slava Ukraini, or Glory to Ukraine. So when the Washington Post's prop or not anonymous researchers, unquote, reveal only their Ukrainian identity, it is hard not to think about the spy-linked hackers who posted the deadly Marat Varet's blacklist of, quote, treasonous journalists, unquote. And again, Robert Perry died of a fast-acting case of cancer in early 2018. Cancer is one of the CIA's and other intelligence services' favorite ways of getting rid of people. The SBU, one of the backers of Marat Varet's, uh, has close links with CIA. And we're going to conclude with uh, an article from the New York Times of August 16th of 2017 by Andrew E. Kramer and Andrew Higgins. In Ukraine, a malware expert who could blow the whistle on Russian hacking. On, on Russian hacking, unquote. This is the uh, alleged hack of the uh, DNC. Uh, no, the, the PAS show here was an outdated member of it. The guy is known as Perfexer. And skipping down. There was no evidence that Perfexer worked at least knowingly for Russia's intelligence services, but his malware apparently did. An outdated version of it. Very skeptical. Quote, there is not now and never has been a single piece of technical evidence produced that connects the malware used in the DNC attack to the GRU, FSB, or any agency of the Russian government, said Jeffrey Carr, the author of a book on cyber warfare. The GRU is Russia's military intelligence agency and the FSB its federal security service. Security experts were initially left scratching their heads when the Department of Homeland Security on December 29th released technical evidence of Russian hacking that seemed to point not to Russia, but rather to Ukraine. And who's handling this guy? Skipping down again. A member of Ukraine's parliament with close ties to the security services, Anton Gerashenko, said that the interaction with Perfexer was online, or by phone, and that the Ukrainian programmer had been paid to write customized malware without knowing its purpose, only later learning it was used in Russian hacking. Mr. Gerashenko described the author only in broad strokes to protect his safety as a young man from a provincial Ukrainian city. He confirmed that the author turned himself into the police and was cooperating as a witness in the DNC investigation, skipping down. It is not clear whether the specific malware the programmer created was used to hack the DNC servers. In other words, <laughs> it's essentially almost nothing, but do know that the alleged creator of the software, an outdated version of which was used in the alleged hack, is being handled by Anton Gerashenko of Mirot Barretz and uh, other things that we have spoken about. Uh, remember the uh, Patreon site, three twenty-minute talks a week and one hour-long talk transcribed via software. This concludes Federal Record Program number 1242. How many lies before you belong to the lies, part 15? This is being recorded on April 22nd of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.